you should try organic. What about becoming vegan? Don't eat any carbs. How about low carb? Paleo, keto, don't eat anything white. Don't forget about the dirty dozen. You eat too little. You eat too much. Don't forget to fast before you work out. I do intermittent fasting. Don't eat after six o'clock. Oh my God, sugar? Every day, I'm inundated with opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. Please, don't be foodish. Join me, Amy Goldsmith, owner of Kinder Nutrition and Wellness and Dietitian for 20 years, as I talk evidence-based nutrition to get the disorder out of eating. I can't wait to serve you. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're joining us again. This is Amy Goldsmith, host of Don't Be Foodish. And I wanted to let everybody know who's listening that our format is going to change just a little bit in the next couple of weeks. As I've been very vocal, eating eating disorders and the diagnosis of eating disorders has increased significantly um, as a result of the pandemic. And for our young adults or our children or minors, parent involvement is absolutely critical. So for the next couple of weeks, I have decided that I'm going to publish all of the content that I go over in our support groups to allow parents to listen, process, and integrate some of our ideas into their care. Remember, at Kindred Nutrition, we do not believe that any specific person causes an eating disorder, of course, but we do feel like parents can be the most critical and integral part of remission and recovery. We look forward to you helping us through this journey and enjoy the show. Hello again. Welcome to Don't Be Foodish. This is Amy Goldsmith, your host and dietitian. For the next couple of weeks, you are going to be stuck with just me on the podcast as I am going to work through a lot of the information that I present at our parent support series. I decided to do this for multiple reasons. The first, that it's very difficult for me to get uh, parents within the kindred community to join our parent support series due to finances or schedules. Um, and second, because I think this is very important for parents to hear. And I think that it's important for parents who are not working with us to also hear. So first and foremost today, we're going to talk about the first series, which is about the etiology of eating disorders and helping to determine, determine your parent style. There's a lot of information out there about where eating disorders come from, and there's a lot of evidence-based information. When I explain this, I'm going to talk about three specific things, Um, genetics, personality traits, and environmental influences. So as I talk about this, I'd like everybody to take some time, really listen, and potentially take some notes to see if you can identify any of these particular things for your child. Let's talk about genetics. So statistics tell us that family members with an eating disorder are seven to 12 times more likely to develop anorexia or bulimia. Just because a family member may have had an eating disorder that's not a predictor alone 
but a triggering event could spur an eating disorder, such as a trauma, which we're going to talk about a little bit um, in the future. When we talk about trauma, it is a specific event or specific small events that can move towards overwhelming and uncontrollable emotions, requiring the need for coping mechanisms, and sometimes for young adults or children, restricting food and regulating weight can give a sense of control and provide an endorphin release. When we talk about personality traits, there are two personality traits that stand out with the eating disorder patient, perfectionism and obsessive compulsive tendencies. Uh, for both perfectionism and OCD, there tends to be a sensitivity to negative emotions, sometimes paired with low self-esteem and body dissatisfaction. Depression and anxiety can definitely play a role when it comes to the personality traits of perfectionism and OCD. However, it's very interesting that the strongest predictor is the value peers place on weight and eating. And then if we look at the third, which would be environmental influences, such as childhood experiences, social comparison, or even trauma, um, it's very interesting to explore this. So in the Western cultures, it's very prominent to think of a positive self-worth with thinness or weight or beauty. Uh, we now live in a society uh, within culture and all the social media where there's filtered and edited pictures and perfected bodies, which can potentially lead to that self-comparison. Um, and oftentimes that constant comparison can decrease self-esteem and body dysfaction. So I just want everybody to kind of think about those three relationships and think about if any of those three things kind of pertain to your child. And just think about kind of uh, if your child has experienced or does experience any of those things, think about how um, potentially the pandemic really kind of was the perfect storm to, to kind of move your child towards the coping mechanisms of an eating disorder. And just to think about this, um, in the first 12 months of COVID, um, in Michigan alone, there's reports that hospital admissions um, doubled and there was a 25% increase in eating disorder diagnosis and then a 40% increase um, overall by the end of uh, 2021. There was at time thoughts that there was a 300% increase in calls to the National Eating Disorder Association. So um, it's very important to think about that. I often tell the parents that I work with, the schools that I work with, the counselors that I work with, that I really truly believe that kids were hit the hardest when it comes to the pandemic, uh, at least in the United States and on the Eastern coast where I am from in Maryland, Within 48 hours, kids were stripped of um, any kind of uh, uh, non-isolation activity that occurred. They were sent home on March 13th and told that they were going to have two weeks off. Um, and then, you know, by Monday the 16th, uh, we found out that school was going to be delayed a little bit longer. Um, sports were closed. Friends weren't able to see each other. And then, without any warning or even, in my opinion, um, 
proper proper kind of adherence, we moved to a virtual platform where there was an allowed behavior for people to have their um, their videos off. Um, and you know, with that, it means that there was a lot of um, inconsistency with school. Um, grades got worse. We enacted Schoology, at least in Maryland, which um, showed a lot of failing grades. And sometimes the child wasn't even failing. It was just because the teacher hadn't graded it. Um, and so imagine like virtually and visually getting on Schoology and seeing, oh my gosh, I have an F, but I actually did the work and my parents are going to figure this out. And then while you're not on your computer screen, um, like really having trouble like learning math or a language, for example, virtually. And then when you do um, get on the, all the other social media, you are seeing the perfected filtered um, pictures of you know, this person and that person, which is increased kind of that self-comparison. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me working in this um, specialty, why eating disorders increase increased. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping that as we hopefully continue to go back to normal, that we can kind of support these kids so that we don't have um, lifelong um, issues from, from this. So I want to move a little bit towards that culture media or the environmental influences. And I'm going to talk about something that is not going to be popular. So I'm just going to warn everybody right there. Um, I just had a talk with a local high school who asked me to come in and talk about the significance of the increase in eating disorders and how parents can be involved. Um, and this wasn't the most popular, but I need every parent who's on here to really understand that you absolutely need to be involved in monitoring your child's social media. If you're a parent who has a middle schooler or a high school who does not have social media, kudos. I think that's wonderful. Good for you. If you're a parent who's allowed it, it doesn't mean that you're a bad parent and I don't think or judge you um, in a negative space. However, it is absolutely important that you are involved with social media. I have two middle schoolers, one who is about to go in high school and I monitor social media all the time for my kids as well as their friends um, and um, within their school system actually as well because so much is missed. Um, my first recommendation is to sit down and have a discussion with your child and, and explain the negative ramifications of social media, especially when it comes to eating disorders. I mean, it was proven through Facebook um, and Instagram that there were actually al algorithms that promoted pro-anorexia and ED eating disorder um, images um, in um, people's feeds, especially young adults during the pandemic, um, it has been proven. And so it's important for you to understand what social media um, your child uses, what they're looking at, how often they're on. Uh, my, my reference for discussion is basically, if you're paying for the phone and you're paying for the, the monthly fee, it's an apparatus that you're letting them borrow, you actually own it. So I think it's completely appropriate if you have a child, even if your child doesn't have an eating disorder to have a discussion and say, hey, there's been a lot of things proven that 
Um, there's a lot of negative things that are uh, being promoted on social media and it's my job to keep you safe and help you kind of process what you're seeing. So our new policy within our family is that I'm going to understand which, um, which social media you use and what you're taking a look at. Um, and you have the choice there to kind of make policy and, and rules from there. Um, you know, one of the things that I do and, you know, I do not do it perfectly. It is a, a um, very time consuming and my kids, do, shocker, do not always tell me the truth. Um, but my kids have to give me their phones at least twice a week where I um, open up the password and I look at everything. That way I can assess if they have any secret accounts um, and see kind of who's on their friend list and, and, and that sort of thing and who they're communicating with. Um, you have the choice to do that as well. Um, I also do have an account with most of the social media and they have to be friends with me, but don't, um, don't be surprised if they make secret accounts as well. Um, again, that's something that you can see if you grab their phones. And there's also a lot of great resources that you can use to kind of help control things. So, you know, if you have the iPhone, you can do the family account where you set your child up um, as a minor and, and um, in the family sharing, you can um, put special things in place. So, you know, they can be on this particular um, social media for this amount of time and then they have to ask me for more. You can turn it off um, and that sort of thing. Yes, there are ways that your child can hack through that. Um, and there's other things you can use as well, um, such as like our pact or bark. Um, but I cannot say this enough with all of the parent support classes that I have worked through. I have only had two parents who um, had <clears throat> monitored or looked at social media. And I would say that probably close to 100% of our young adults uh, patients are definitely triggered and um, viewing um, not the best things um, from a social media perspective. So I'm going to be honest with you always. It's extremely time consuming, but eating disorders are life or death. There's a 20% mortality rate. So if you want to work with your team, which is your dietitian, your physician, and the therapist that your child is working with, you will come up with a plan to help monitor and educate about social media. The last thing that I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about parenting style. This is one of my favorite things to do, um, although uncomfortable to talk about at times. Um, there's different parenting styles and the eating disorder uh, responds differently to different parenting styles. Um, I utilize this wonderful book that I, that I love and I recommend parents to read. Um, it's called Skills-Based Caring for a Loved One with an Eating Disorder, uh, The New Maudsley Method, uh, and it's from Janet Treasure. I'm going to say the name incorrectly, Brian Smith and Anna Crane. I will have a link to this book um, when this podcast is posted. Um, but I just want to kind of introduce the parenting perspective here, just to kind of um, help everybody think about what type of parent they are. All right. So there is no wrong 
way of parenting. I do believe that every parent comes from a place of love. And I just want to recommend that when you're parenting a child um, with an eating disorder, just to remind you and reassure you that your role is definitely to provide love and support. Um, and, you know, to go with your gut, you're, you're absolutely correct. You want to let them know that you support them and love them um, and utilize the team that you've put in place to help with the accountability and the treatment. Um, you know, it is not expected for a parent to take on the role of a dietitian or a therapist because um, it's such a specific niche. Um, you know, if somebody tries to take that role on and they don't have the appropriate training, it can cause um, splitting and a lot of undesirable um, characteristics that kind of feed the eating disorder to strengthen. So we're going to talk about how you potentially react emotionally. And there are times as a parent that you may have said, hey, I have been all, all of these parents, I've used all of these parenting styles, or I've, I've used these different parenting styles depending on where my child is um, and their stage. But we're talking about this from an eating disorder perspective. So the first um, parenting style I want to talk about is the ostrich. Okay. And when we think about this, the ostrich would be when a family member finds it difficult to cope with the distress and the upset of challenging or confronting eating disorder behaviors. So this particular approach would be when you try to avoid thinking or talking about the problems at all. And that's where that ostrich approach comes from, where the head is kind of firmly in the sand. So this type of parenting technique would be when someone tries to ignore and deny the effects of the eating disorder behavior, and they may spend as much time away from the situation as possible. So maybe increasing their work, um, being constantly absorbed in programs or on TV, or finding any other activity rather than actually confronting the difficult situation and the behavior of the eating disorder. Because they do this, they ignore the behaviors and symptoms and sometimes undermine the severity of the situation. Um, and it's just important to know that this is not something that is malicious and it's not negative, but sometimes when eating behaviors and symptoms are ignored or, under, or the severity is undermined, uh, that increases that thought process of the patient who is ill with, well, I'm not sick enough, or I'm not, um, I could be sicker. Um, so it really kind of like negatively um, coincides with treatment and expectations. Okay, the next parenting side would be the kangaroo. And that would be um, when it reactively emerges, when the eating disorders, fragility and physical state makes the parent feel like they have to protect them completely to keep them safe. So kind of like in that front pouch of the kangaroo. Uh, the kangaroo will treat the eating disorder with kid gloves, or oftentimes I say like walking on eggshells. Um, and they do this in an effort to avoid any possible upset or stress. So they make accommodate to all demands, whether they're rational or driven by the eating disorder. And some examples of this would be like, if, a, if your loved one has binge eating, the kangaroo might shop for much larger amounts of food 
so that they replace the missing food to try to control the eating disorders feelings of shame. Or if under eating exists, the kangaroo might drive miles out of the way to find a special food just so they might eat it. Or the kangaroo may completely rearrange the family schedule to fit the eating disorders exercise schedule. The downfall with this parenting style is that the eating disorder will fail to learn how to approach and cope and master the challenges towards remission. The next parenting style is the rhinoceros response. This parenting style is when as a caregiver, you become stressed and exhausted by the eating disorder. Um, and in the face of that, you want a simple solution. So it's, you just need to eat an adequate amount, eat nutritiously. And sometimes with the rhinoceros parenting style, tempers can become short as food dis disappear. If the bathroom is in constant use, if sink and toilets become plugged. And you really, really want the eating disorder to understand your analysis of the situation and why they need to fuel themselves or get better. What ha happens is the eating disorder then spends all of their energies in self-protection, arguing back with the eating disorder logic and rehearsing all the distorted eating disorder thinking and digging a deeper hole to kind of hide in. So their response to the rhinoceros response is, well, now I have to hide this a little bit more. I have to protect this secret. And they dig deeper and deeper and deeper where they get into more negative habits. The last parenting style we're going to talk about before we talk about the parenting style that we would like to move towards is the Jack Russell Terrier response. And I just think of this as, um, you know, when I think of a Jack Russell Terrier, they kind of yap. Um, they're constantly at your feet. So this would be the parent that's constantly reminding and quizzing somebody about the food that they're eating and their exercise they're doing, if they're purging um, and that sort of thing. It's really what happens in this situation is the eating disorder kind of sees us as noise and really just kind of tunes, tunes it out and focuses, gives a lot of focus on that eating disorder symptom instead. So again, it's not that any of these parenting styles are malicious or wrong, and I don't um, hold judgment for any parent who has kind of moved in and out of these parent styles because caring for somebody with an eating disorder is absolutely exhausting. But what we want to do and what we try to do as providers is we want to move towards being more of like a dolphin, right? And when we think about that, and the, the metaphor of a dolphin, um, I always think, you know, a dolphin kind of nudges their, their family with their little, their noses, right? So we want to think as a dolphin, you're nudging your child towards safety, right? So if, for example, your child was at sea and the eating disorder is their life belt, they're, they're unwilling to give up that life belt, right? Because they feel very safe with it and they feel like the rest of the world is stressful and dangerous. So the dolphin may at times swim ahead to kind of model what, appropriate, what the appropriate way is um, and guide through difficult passages. And other times they may swim right alongside and give encouragement, love, and support. Um, and then when you see that, um, their loved one is doing okay, they may kind of slow down and quietly swim behind. 
Um, so again, this is just kind of a metaphor to think about. Um, but when we think about the dolphin, I think we can all kind of visually kind of see what I've just discussed. And the goal really is from the par parent side to really provide that love and support um, to the child and trusting in the, the expert advice from your team. So I know that was kind of short and sweet, but I feel like this gives you a good idea of what to think about when you know, you're first um, starting the treatment towards remission and recovery. I think if you've listened to this, some positive kind of activities to do would be to kind of like maybe think through and see if um, there's anything specific that may have kind of contributed to utilizing an eating disorder as a coping mechanism. Um, the next thing would be to think about what your social media strategy is going to be. Um, and start the open discussion with that. And if you have a hard time with that, I absolutely recommend utilizing your eating disorder team to kind of help guide with that. And then last, just kind of thinking about what parent style you may have and, you know, give yourself grace and think about how potentially you can transition from being a kangaroo or a Jack Russell Terrier or a rhinoceros to more of a dolphin. Um, last but not least, I really would encourage, I have no relationship to this book at all. I just think it's very um, helpful for parents. I'd really, um, recommend purchasing this book. Um, and I will be ne back next week to start to talk about the Maudsley method, which is how to fuel your child, um, in the outpatient setting. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all next week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that this content was valuable for you. And I hope that you also join us next time where we will be talking about how to integrate fueling your loved one. So as I discussed, please purchase the skills-based caring for a loved one with an eating disorder if you are a Kindred Nutrition community member. And there's a couple suggestions that I have based off of this discussion. First, if you could purchase a journal or utilize an old journal just to document what you think could play into your loved one's eating disorder. Are there genetics? Are there specific personality traits? Or were there any specific environmental influences? The second thing to think through and process is how you feel you'll start to monitor social media and how to kind of start this conversation with your child. And then third, just really thinking about what your current parent style is and how you may be able to move it more towards the dolphin. We'll be talking with you as you move through treatment at Kindred Nutrition if you're a member of our community and we will talk to you next time.